Hi everyone and welcome to the EMA cast. This is a series of podcasts where we get um, deep and, and insightful into business matters and today I'm lucky enough to be joined by Andrew Hunt who's the chairman of our board. So Andrew, welcome. Thanks Michael, it's great to be here. Good. Thank you for coming in. And look, I'm, I'm going to ask you a bit about your background, but I'll, I'll, I know that you've founded your company, Kinetic Group, in 1996, so it's, it's been a few innings. Yeah. Um, it's an award-winning IT consultancy, and you use um, consultancy IT expertise and change management, basically, to, to digitize companies in a meaningful way. I think the um, my observation is, is that the businesses that we are all involved in today are quite different to the businesses that they were when I set up my business, or even five years ago. And what makes them different is how they all embrace technology. Okay. And I remember as a young fella, I don't know, I must have been at secondary school at the time, maybe maybe intermediate school, going out to a friend's father's workplace. Uh, and it was a uh, an accounting, um, frankly, it looked a bit like those... Um, uh, uh, caged hens or caged uh, those people were sitting at desks that all looked aligned <laughs> with their adding machines oh, no. uh, uh, calculating whatever it was the week's orders the month's turnover and today we do all of that stuff in a spreadsheet in half an hour or an hour uh, back in, or, or we use you know a, a line of business bit of ERP software mm. but, but back when I was at school um, you would have a, a room full of accountants processing this stuff by hand and how incredibly expensive, mm-hmm. how unproductive it feels today, but that was normal back then. And so where I come from uh, in terms of the context of this conversation mm. is that as businesses, we're always looking to change, to be more productive, to be more efficient, to be able to do new things we couldn't do before and do them better to a higher standard. Yes. And the underpinning beneath all of that is technology and how we use technology to achieve our goals. And so that's what's driven my business for the last almost 30 years. And it's also what inspires me in my career. Brilliant, Andrew, brilliant. And look, I want to get into that because I know you're, you're passionate about technology. And But I'm going to start back, um, talk post-school. Do, do you remember your first job out of school and what life was like, what conditions were like? So I've, I've worked... Um, I mean, I've had part-time jobs and so forth. I think I held down, you know, jobs at school. I I wrote um, some some computer software and sold it overseas. Oh, wow. uh, when I was fifteen, um, okay. computers were new then. The computer software was on cassette tape, <laughs> uh, and I was lucky enough to think of something and to sell it uh, into Singapore of all places, and uh, and that was um, pretty good. But I've always sort of you know done been a little bit entrepreneurial. Uh, but my first job after school, uh, after leaving university, was uh, actually as an accountant uh, for a, a large insurance firm, okay. and uh, and that lasted really well. I'd done my BCom, or um, I was progressing well, and after three months in this job, I realised I made a hell of a mistake, <laughs> and I uh, was not going to spend my career as an accountant. It was technology that inspired me. So really change. And I know so many friends, so many of my friends. Their degree is in zoology, for example, <laughs> or, or, or neuroscience, or molecular structures, and they work in a different industry. That's such a common theme. It yeah. is, really. And look, accounting's funny, because I, I work for the Chartered Accountants for, for a year, mm. and um, they, they're moving from crunching numbers to more business analysis. And there were some amazing examples of um, using gig economy where they were using Filipino um, accountants to do ma- the majority of the work and they were just doing the analysis and the, the check-in and they were going paperless. So w- accounting back then is just a whole different beast than what it is now. 
Well, I think you had bookkeeping. Yes. And what I was referring to in that example of, of um, you know, that, that schoolboy visit to a workplace, that was bookkeeping, really. Mm. Um, and accounting is precisely that. It's taking the data and turning that into intelligence. Uh, and that's that's what all businesses need to do today to be successful. What are the emerging trends? Where, where should we be investing? And the art of business, Michael, and I've learned this over my career, isn't what you say yes to. It's what you say no to. Okay. Because you can't do everything that's in front of you. You've got uh, this world is so full of opportunity. Yes. But we are so limited in our resources that we have to be very thoughtful about which opportunities we pursue, which are the best ones for us, given our particular set of circumstances. Great. Look, I think that's great advice. And that's coming from a person who, um, at 15, wrote some software mm. that, that you obviously saw. You saw what the future was even back then. And that's pretty much what you're, you're still doing, I guess. You're still predicting the future of, of the workplace. Oh, I think I was just lucky even having 15 years got that much insight. <laughs> I was just doing something that I enjoyed and, hey, someone wanted to pay for it. So fantastic. Yeah, that worked really well. Um, I think the point, though, in terms of the notes you gave me prior to this webinar is that you don't know what the future holds, but what you do know is it's different to what the past holds. You can look at the past to educate yourself on and to learn from, and gosh, you must do that. Mm. But there is a really interesting uh, phenomenon. I think the guy's name is Kevin McFarland. I heard him speak once in the States. He's one of those sort of Ivy League professors. He said, um, change is constant. the world has never changed faster than it changes today. Mm. And it will never change slower than it changes today. <laughs> and what a, what a, what a really interesting uh, uh, perspective that is. It, it really is. And look, you, one of the things you do in your, in your company is change management. Yeah. And, and I know that you've got, um, you know, you've got a lot of intelligence on the barriers to effective change management. And is that, is that mainly people and attitudes? Absolutely is. So uh, for business invest in an IT project, which we all seem to be investing in these days, that IT project only delivers the outcomes that the board, whoever signed off on it, anticipates if the people in that business use it. Yes. Uh, if they sit there and go, that's all very well, but I'm going to resist change or I'm going to continue with things that I know or I'm comfortable with, I'm going to continue doing things the old way, then that new solution is never going to uh, generate the outcomes and rewards that were hoped for it simply because people aren't on for the journey. They've got to Mm. understand the objectives and accept and buy into the objectives and go, yep, that's me. They've got to uh, also actually accept there'll be some some, uh, challenges along the way because whoever knew an IT project that went smoothly? I mean, actually, whoever (laughs) knew many projects? Forget IT. Um, Building projects. Ask NZTA how it's going for them. How many projects go smoothly? The answer is none. They always have hiccups along the way. So you need people to buy into them with enough goodwill to to be happy to ride those bumps. Yes. Uh, and also to celebrate the successes as the outcomes are achieved. And, 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 and today, also, nothing's quite what you expected. And so we quite often, and particularly in an agile world, we're changing the outcomes as we go along. As we know more and learn more, mm. we adapt and we say, well, that's what I was thinking, but based on what I know now, um, this would be a better way. And given that we know new stuff all the time, we should always be embracing that opportunity to be smarter and better. Look, I think that's great, and it's so refreshing to hear as, as a staff member at EMA that you know the head of our board still has that 
forward thinking and um, you know sort of clean slate approach because you've been you've been um, on the board for how many years now, Andrew? Let's not go there. Um, <laughs> but, um, but the EMA is a great example because here at the EMA we've just you know we've realised that we're not the same organisation that we used to be. And so I remember when I did uh, first get involved with the EMA in the policy space in particular, coming to meetings and looking around the table at people that all looked a bit the same. And many of them were uh, in the twilight of their careers. They were, they were starting to consider you know, retirement. Or they had retired, frankly, and they were just coming along and, and sharing their view. And their view mm. was a little bit, frankly, dated. Okay. And it didn't reflect the world that I was doing business in and in the, in the organisations that I was seeing. And here at the EMA, we've made a conscious effort, particularly over the last five years, six years, to really change that and to make sure that our board that our various committees around the organisation, that the people we engage with in the business uh, and uh, the members that we serve to make sure that we recognise those changes and what's contemporary because it's it's just so different to what it was um, even even 15 years ago. Mm. I mean, it just seems so incredibly obvious. But we've made a conscious effort to make sure that our board is people who are... Uh, very much in the middle of their careers rather than at the end of the issues that they're facing are the same issues that our members face so we can relate to that to make sure that our team here at the EMA is much more contemporary and I'm really proud of that change. Great. To deliver on that we've made a major investment or we're making a major investment in some new software because the software that we've had has become again out of date. Yes. Uh, and so right at the moment the EMA is going through a massive project of implementing one of our largest ever investments mm. and we're going to encounter all of those challenges I've just mentioned in terms of change and change resistance, but I, I think that the mood here is, is very positive towards it. But there's nothing unique about the EMA. All of our members, every business that I know, has got to make those sorts of same choices because the environment that we're in today is different to what it was before, and it's not just COVID, it's trendy to say it's COVID, <laughs> but actually there's so many global trends for changing the modern workplace that we have to embrace those. Yeah, look, couldn't agree more, and I really appreciate your insights. And I'm going to ask you to dust off your crystal ball now, Andrew. Um, and you know, we've we've been talking about the, the changes in the last 15 years. What do you, what do you think are going to be the major changes for businesses in New Zealand specifically in the next 15 to 20 years? Gosh. So everyone's crystal ball is broken. Fundamentally, <laughs> I'll be sending mine, if I make some predictions now, I will be looking for the warranty return card and sending it off because it'll all be wrong. Uh, but where would I start with? So firstly, I think there's some global changes that New Zealand may or may not be part of. New Zealand is uh, a small country with a history of innovation, that number eight wire mentality. And there's a number of folk in New Zealand who really buy into that. But we are also seeing a bit of a change. And I'm concerned that the emerging workforce isn't as work ready as ones in the past. And again, that might be a reflection of my age and experience, but I'm hearing it often enough to mm. think there's some reality to that. And I know when we survey members here at the EMA, it's a common concern of theirs is um, the ability to find the next generation of the workforce work ready graduates or to find just people in general to fill, to fill roles. Yes. Every member, every time they've ever asked that question, what's your number one issue? That's what they say. That's not going to change. Mm. But we're seeing a, a decrease, I think, in the amount of work ready graduates, and that's a real concern for us. Uh, New Zealand is falling behind um, global uh, opportunities. We've seen that in uh, tertiary, for example, in terms of the, um, the international students. Yes. But we're also seeing it um, in terms of some of our workplace attitudes. So the introduction of some legislation that's come our way uh, 
asserts more control and more central control into uh, workplace relations than we've seen for, I don't know, I guess since prior to 1990. Mm. And that's not a good thing because we know that people today uh, expect more flexibility. Yes. We hear that over and over from our members, you know, they want to be able to go and, and work from home and the, and the people's readiness to embrace work from home, not just for COVID, but also actually to suit their unique personal circumstances. And the incredibly diverse workforce that we've got means that people demand choice, flexibility, freedom. So globally, we're going to see more people in the gig economy space. The gig economy wasn't a thing mm. all that long ago. You mentioned it at the um, Chartered Accountants. Yes. But you know, every industry, I mean, we, we hire graphic designers, we hire um, uh, videographers, notwithstanding here, we, we hire all sorts of skills on a on-demand basis. And that's only going to increase as we seek to find more nimble ways to meet customers' demands in an ever-increasingly flexible business environment, more change, et cetera. Mm. And so I'm really concerned that we are going to see uh, workplaces becoming more regulated and more narrowed down in terms of that choice because that uh, every time you mandate a set of rules, you reduce the ability to innovate and to be flexible and to find new ways that suit uh, both the worker uh, and the employer. And it's, it's got to work for both, right? Mm, good point. So I'm really concerned you going to be left behind. I think that globally there'll be a, this emerging um, uh, gig economy is going to become even more prevalent because actually people want that 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 freedom, and some roles suit it more than others. But we're going to increasingly see roles that do. Mm. Um, in terms of digitisation of services, just lately there's been a bit of a push back. Too, a lot of services have been digitised, and you know, we used to be taking a lot of stuff for granted, whether it's you know paying for things with our cell phone on the FPOS machine or whatever <laughs> else. Uh, you know, we're in a different world to what it used to be. Mm. But there's also a bit of a pushback and people are saying, actually, yeah, I'll buy some things online, but I want to go and experience, I want to have that retail experience. Yep. Um, I think there's a certain number of things that we have to touch and see and have a human face-to-face reaction. And again, COVID's taught us that because we missed it. We had two, two years, roughly, of, of missing that face-to-face yes. interaction that folk... Uh, really yearn for because after all humans are social creatures we are look yeah. th- that's some that's some great insights and I, I want to talk probably a bit more about the gig economy because when you've got a, a tight labor market like mm. we have in New Zealand you've got some immigration barriers and restrictions mm. why what is stopping a New Zealand business from outsourcing everything the freelance economy is growing and just just managing their business in a different way and I guess you've used a lot of this the, the people in the gig economy what have, what do you experience is it good bad what are the issues so my experience of that has been outstandingly successful okay so we in my business we use it to be to be able to respond more competitively to our challenges and our customers' challenges. Okay. And actually, you know, we're in a world where, where we ever expect us to be more competitive and more efficient, and if that's the solution to it, then we embrace it wholeheartedly. Uh, with the gig economy, you, as with anything, if you're talking to somebody you haven't talked to before, then you have to go through a period of validation as to whether or not you're on the same wavelength, whether yes. the service that they provide meets your expectations, value, uh, quality, timeliness, and so forth. And once you've established those relationships with people, you're probably going to go back and use them again and again because you start to build up that trust and rapport. I don't see that slowing down in the slightest. We've used it in our business. We have had to use um, uh, BPO facilities okay. to, to because we are not able to bring people into New Zealand, so we uh, couldn't find them locally, couldn't mm-hmm. bring them in. So um, we 
we've got some people working for us, and I think that's common across more and more businesses. And again, and we're only going to see an increase in that. Yes. Um, equally, we're seeing businesses investing in um, using capital to invest in automation, mm-hmm. because if you can't find the workers, and if the cost of labour is increasing because of the constraints around it, then you are going to choose to. Um, to, to automate tools. I was going through Changi Airport a few weeks ago okay. and the cleaners there look like robots, actually a bit like my, um, my robot at home that was my <laughs> vacuuming. Um, you know, the big, big cleaning robots that go around. So there's a whole bunch of jobs that are gone. We go to the supermarket. You know, we don't have so many checkout operators. We don't go to a bank teller anymore. Yes. We don't even go to an ATM anymore for that matter. We do everything <laughs> on our cell phone. Um, increasingly, a lot of those roles are disappearing. And so I'm a little bit sad because those were entry-level roles that allowed a lot of my contemporaries mm. to start off their careers in these roles where they could learn the disciplines of work, they could learn how a process worked, yes. and they could as I say, start their careers off and, and go from there. And as those roles disappear, I'm, I'm looking to see which ones are replacing those to okay. allow our kids to start off their careers. Um, and I think we'll see that in professional services where as um, the you know, chat GTP, OpenAI, and the various BARD, the various competitors in that space start to automate uh, professional services spaces, that those entry-level roles uh, are going to be more efficiently done automatically. They'll become a little bit less personality, I guess, which Mm. is a shame. Um, But the bigger issue for me is how do we make sure that we are still creating a pathway to work for uh, younger people um, uh, as they step step through into the workplace. Look, it's a really good question, and I, I mean, I've been talking to um, quite a few people and doing a bit of research in this, Andrew. And it looks like the 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 trend might be hiring towards skills and attributes as um, as people skills. I'm talking rather than education and training. You'll do that on the job. So yeah, you're looking for a cultural fit. You're looking for someone who's who's got a work ethic. And, and I guess that is what the future of the work will be. They'll supersede those admin jobs and go straight to a, a more senior role where they're trained. Uh, well, you're still going to learn your, learn your craft and mm. you're going to learn the skill, but you're, you know, you're going to learn the technical skill, which is what you're saying. But those human attributes, like I learned a long time ago, that hiring somebody to fill a seat because um, of the technical skills was uh, a mistake. You had to start off by hiring people who had the right attitude uh, and the right intent. Uh, and the right cultural fit, that's always got to come first. But you know what? We all make the mistake. We feel pressure, particularly in the tight labour market that yes. we're in, we feel the pressure to fiddle the seat because the work's to be done and the, and the pressure puts on other people. We then go and hire the wrong person. We then have to spend uh, a period of time resolving that issue, mm. dealing with the impact on their work colleagues. We've just lost a staff member in our place, and the number one reason they stated was because one of their colleagues wasn't up to scratch and they couldn't cope with the pressure anymore. Okay. It's a real shame. Mm. Um, uh, the EMA, big plug for the EMA, uh, is there to help with these things. And uh, the uh, employment advice line and the advocates here, uh, and, and particularly the, the legal service, uh, second to none in terms of helping you unpack those inevitable mistakes, but it's always best to avoid them in the first place, Michael. Hundred percent. And look, that that is systems and processes and having all of that stuff in in place, which is from a from a computer perspective or IT perspective, yeah. that's something that you do, isn't it? You you walk into a business and you literally. Is it is it start with an assessment end or is that how we you do? Work? It's exactly what yeah. we do actually. Yeah. So in our business, we call it a flight plan, and and we go through a uh, very structured process to uncover. 
uh, what the businesses, every business that I know, every organization, actually not just business, it could be charity as well, any business, any organization has got a set of goals that they want to achieve this year or this quarter, or both. And uh, we try to, un- to uncover what those are and then uh, relate how technology is going to play a part in helping that organization to, to achieve those. And almost every goal has got some kind of technology aspect to delivering on it, so it might be to mitigate a risk. Okay. It might be to deliver a new service to the customers. It might be to uh, reduce a cost. It might be to, to, to do something new they haven't done before. But in every single circumstance, technology has a role to play in helping that business to, to achieve that. Um, and that's what we, we enjoy doing. And the upside is that it frees up the people who might have been involved in mechanical and fairly, um, well, what we feel to them, menial and repetitive work mm. to go and do something that's more interesting and more inspiring. One of the things that machines don't do in every chat GTP or whatever else or every automated robot can't ever do is have a personality. Yes. Uh, and they, they, they don't innovate. They, they do what they do. You know, machine learning is about looking at what's gone bef- in the past and using pattern analysis to try and, uh, and work out how to respond to a set of circumstances. By definition, it's looking at the past, not the future. Mm. Uh, and it's humans that have the ability to look ahead and be creative. Yeah. Uh, and that's the piece that we have to embrace. Look, it's, it's definitely true. And I was in Thailand recently, and they've they've got robots that deliver your food now. Yeah. Um, and you might have experienced it. They they often get it wrong, and it's quite comical. And a sense of humour is another thing that humans have <laughs> that, a, that a robot doesn't. But um, yeah, they're creating. Uh, you can see you can see what they want to achieve, but they're not quite there yet. But it's not going to take long for them to get there, I assume, Andrew. Well, look, I'm I'm still waiting for all sorts of things to not require rebooting from time to time, <laughs> um, and so I'm not necessarily sure we'll ever quite get to where we want to be. Uh, every day, it seems to me that um, something doesn't quite work the way uh, it ought to, and. Uh, I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you to bring your collective knowledge now from your own business, your, your experience yeah. um, as, a, as an owner-founder, but also as a director, because I know you're heavily involved in directing a lot of businesses aboard Institute of Directors. What, what do you think businesses need to be doing today to prepare for the future, regardless of what it looks like? What, what are the things that they should be looking at? Oh my gosh, that's tough like, questions. Yeah, that's sorry. Open question. You basically said, you know, what's the, you know, what's your favourite colour? Um, <laughs> so firstly, I think that uh, the world we're in has changed. So the underlying theme has changed, and certainly you're saying it's a change. It brings opportunity. It also brings threat, and almost always opportunity and threat is the same thing. It's just two perspectives on the same on the same set of circumstances. Okay. And so I think the number one thing that we should be doing, whether we are in a, a governance position or, or in a management position, is looking ahead and saying, where do I see the change occurring and what does that mean to me? Um, and we should also be weighing up with which is the best place for me to invest my time and resources because there's more, as I said, there's more opportunity in front of you than you have resources capacity for, so you yes. have to pick and choose. Mm. And that's, I guess, is the um, reason that the fast failing idea is so popular, because you can test things out and move on. And don't be afraid, by the way, to make a mistake. That's perfectly okay to make a mistake, just learn from it. Um, in fact, the more you make, the better, but just learn from them, don't do them twice. Okay. So, so change um, from a, uh, as a technology person, uh, 
the cyber environment concerns me. It's yes. where I spend most of my time in my own business is cyber threat okay. and uh, the ability of the tools that are available today to unleash help upon a business. It just gets more and more adverse each day. The tools that we have to use to uh, mitigate that risk are more expensive. Uh, every year we've got to do things that seemed excessive a year previously but now don't seem enough mm. and uh, businesses that aren't paying attention or think it's not going to happen to them and well, I've got news for you it is uh, it's only a matter of time and by the way those those cyber crimes might not actually be on your IT system they might be through so someone social engineering you calling you it could be through all mm. sorts of means that they can use to trick you it's just old-fashioned con men after all and the world's always had a fair number of those. <laughs> they have. So, so I'm concerned about that. But uh, equally, just looking at what trends are around and what the opportunities are, we don't all have to be innovators. We can fast follow others as well. Of course. Yeah. Some good advice. And look, I noticed that every time there's a RAM raid, it hits the front page of a news. But of course, cybercrime is something that's fairly hidden because if you, you don't want the public to know necessarily. Um, you know, you're trying to you're trying to minimize the damage and the first thing that a lot of these ransomware people tell you is you keep it quiet look i'm going to get into one of my rants here we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg right now so over the last few years most of the uh, cyber events i've been monitoring have been gathering information about people harvesting it from websites social media and a variety of other sources um, you drop your business cards in a you know in a drawer on a you know on a, yes. on a bench somewhere. Done many them times. In, in bag. Well, guess what? They now know your name, your email address, your your phone number. Um, can't do a lot with that, but when you marry that with other information, and we saw um, a couple of hacks recently that stole driver's licenses information. Mm. I think um, you know it was the attitude one, uh, and there's been others of that nature. They can now start to uh, get enough information about you that somebody at some point can pretend to be you very authentically and start to, uh, well, yeah, personate your life. Identity theft, they can go and be you mm. and or be a person with your name at least and start to sign up various things you don't want. They can cause you havoc, your credit card, your yes. credit history becomes a, a disaster uh, as they exploit that information. They can trick people and... Yeah. That hasn't really happened at scale yet, but I, I think it's going to. Okay. Well, look, that's a good reminder. And um, basically the whole premise of this was to try and figure out the future of business. And I'm glad we've touched on something that we haven't touched on in previous episodes, which is um, risk mitigation. And, and I think that everyone needs to be thinking about that, as you say, because everything's becoming digital and therefore there's a lot of people trying to get get their hands on it, and they're getting smarter. That's a depressed perspective. We should move on to something happier. <laughs> okay. Well, look, we, we will. Um, and I guess it's the, the last thing I was going to say was, um, you know, I can tell you're an optimist, Andrew. Can you give us your, your optimistic outlook now on on business in New Zealand with all of the no, – knowing we've got all these issues and knowing that we're an innovative country, you know, how do you think we're going we're gonna to fare in, in 10 years? There are opportunities for New Zealanders that we haven't had before. For a long time, we talked about the tyranny of distance as we tried to engage overseas. So um, as we know, we're not going to get rich selling to ourselves as a country. If we want to have the services uh, that New Zealanders want in terms of education, health care, law and order and so forth, um, we're not going to get those out of our domestic economy. It's just simply too small. Um, but we are really good at innovating and coming up with new ways of doing stuff. That number eight uh, fencing line mentality is something that we have to foster. And there are some great examples of innovation um, in, in a range of industries throughout New Zealand. 
under COVID, we learned that we could connect with people through an online call through mm. a variety of, of, of tools. We didn't have to go into a meeting in person anymore. We could actually now do it digitally. And so that's created an enormous opportunity for us to uh, use that to reach out to customers around the world and to take our services to them without having to spend however much money and time to get somewhere. Uh, I do have an export business and my competitors in North America takes them a couple of hours to get to where they're going and, and a few hundred, maybe a thousand dollars for me to go to the same event. It takes me a day to get there <laughs> and you know, stick another zero on the end in terms of the costs. Uh, and they're paying in US dollars, we're paying in NZ dollars. <laughs> of course. Oh gosh, it's so much fun. Um, but the reality is I can go and talk to those customers and I do talk to those customers in scheduled online meetings instead and they don't need to know or well, they actually don't even care that I'm not in, in, in their jurisdiction, that we're somewhere else. And that's the opportunity for New Zealand, is the tyranny of distance has largely been lifted. And so we can take our innovation uh, and take those forward. So the opportunity for us is to embrace our creativity and to use those to, to build um, long-tail niche markets mm. uh, that we haven't been able to afford to do before. What a fantastic opportunity. The downside is that we need to make sure that the resources that we need, the human resources that we need to do that, are able to have a pathway into work and that we're able to embrace their ideas and their different thinking and welcome the challenge that they bring to us as well to make sure that we're the best we can be. Brilliant. Look, Andrew, thank you so much for your insight, knowledge and, and your, your tips. And I think um, everyone's going to appreciate those. And the um, EMA cast is available for Spotify and YouTube. So you can have a listen or you can have a watch. And uh, again, appreciate your time, Andrew. Thank you. Any parting words for, for our members? I look, just have a great year. Um, we're out of this uh, COVID mess now. Uh, we're into a new normal. Uh, let's embrace where we're at and uh, just take full advantage of the opportunities. We've spent some time thinking about things and now's the time to put your foot on the gas pedal uh, and go for it. Brilliant. Thank you, Andrew.